Hi, I'm Shannon, pastor at Sturgeon Bay Community Church. I want to thank you for joining us during our study of the book of Mark, where the theme is that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of God. The whole point of studying this book is so that you can find out more about what the Bible has to say about the person and the work and the message of Jesus Christ. I would encourage you to grab a cup of coffee and a notebook, and let's dive into the book of Mark. And I hope that you could join us sometime soon for a live service where ministry happens in relationships and you can get connected to other brothers and sisters in the faith. See you soon. Well, good morning. Isn't it nice not to be uh, digging your way out of your driveway this morning to make it to church? That'll work. We're still in the book of Mark, and we're going to uh, take a look at something uh, this morning that a lot of times we just look right past as we read through the passage and don't really focus in on it. But I thought this morning as we get going, the best thing to do would be to start with this verse from Paul's writing to the church there in Corinth. He was encouraging them, talking about what it is to be uh, redeemed and to be new people and to be new in Christ. And he said, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creature. The old has passed away and the new has come. You've become new people entirely. And that's really the start of where we want to go this morning. So if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn to the book of Mark. We're going to be in the 14th chapter today, picking up on verse 32. So Mark 14 starting on verse 32, and today's title is called, When God Changes Your Name. Hey, uh, guys, can you pull that back screen up for me so I can tell where I am on the notes and don't uh, preach for an hour and a half? Everybody would appreciate it. There we go. Thank you. Throughout the scripture, we see a a common thread in the Old Testament and the New where God changes people's names, and that's part of what we're going to look at uh, this morning. So let me set the stage for you. Jesus has left... Uh, the city of Jerusalem for the last time as teacher, rabbi, and prophet. He has spent the past three to three and a half years teaching and healing, doing miraculous things, and giving people evidence to the fact that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. This particular time he has, he has gone into the temple and he has basically condemned and called out the false system of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin. Uh, He's called them whitewashed tombs, sepulchers. You're beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, you're full of death and destruction. Jesus has really uh, laid down the law on the teachers of the law, knowing that his time has finally come. He's mentioned on several occasions already that the time had come where the Son of Man would be betrayed. He would be handed over to death. He would die and then come back on the third day. He said this to them already. They've heard this. But the apostles apparently weren't having the message sink in. So now they've gone to the garden to pray, and it's nighttime. Uh, it is Friday. They have gone to, to the garden, or Thursday night or Friday. They've gone to the garden uh, there of Gethsemane. They've been praying, and we're going to pick up on the text at that point. So Mark chapter 14, verses 32 to 41, go like this. Then they came to a place called Gethsemane, and he told his disciples, "'Sit here while I pray.'" He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. He said to them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake. He went a little farther, fell on the ground, and prayed that if it was possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. 
Then he came and found them, that is, Peter, James, and John, sleeping. He said, he said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Couldn't you stay awake for one hour? Stay awake and pray so that, he, that yes, sorry, you will not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once again, he, Jesus, went away and prayed, saying the same thing. And again, he came and found them sleeping because they could not keep their eyes open. They didn't know what to say to him. Then he came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The time has come. See, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let's go, for my betrayer is near. Now you'll notice there, on the top of that verse, he says to Peter, Simon. He didn't call him Peter. He called him Simon. And it's really easy to just gloss right past that as we're reading the text. It doesn't jump off the page to our modern, post-Enlightenment, Western American ears. But I want you to understand something. That is a huge moment in the life of Simon, of Peter, Cephas, however you want to call his name. This is a big moment in his life. And it's not a good one. And it demonstrates kind of what's about to come. So let's take a look at what it is to have a changed name and then for Jesus to call you by your original name. Who else in the Bible got new names? If we go back and we look through the scripture, we find the first example is a man by the name of Abram. And Abram, uh, we see this in Genesis 17.5, is called out of Ur of the Chaldees to leave this place over in kind of modern day Iraq and, and to leave and to come around into this land of Cain, the, the Canaan, where these people who were the descendants of Cain had been living. And God said, I'm going to give you this land and I'm going to make a mighty nation out of you. So get up and go where I call you. And, and indeed he does. He gets up and he goes exactly there. Through the course of his life and the family that would follow him, he wouldn't have children of his own, and he wants children of his own, obviously. As a, he wants to be a patriarch. He wants to fulfill what God had told him. And as he gets to this place, he and his wife Sarah are, are not having kids. It's just not happening. And Abram tries to do some things on his own, but, but we know how the rest of the story eventually happens as he has the son Isaac and, and Ishmael. Um, but God changed Abram's name. And instead of being Abram, which is a name um, which basically just means show, sojourner or shepherd, to Abraham. And Abraham means father of a multitude. So his name was changed by God. And what God was saying is, because of your faith and because of your action, I am changing your name. No longer will I call you by the old name. Now you have a new name. Abram's wife, or Abraham's wife, Sarah, her original name was Sarai, which meant my princess, before she became Sarah, which means mother of nations. So Genesis 17, 15, God had changed her name to mother of nations. Now that's remarkable. You're just regular my princess, which is kind of neat. It's almost like a nickname. But her name becomes mother of nations, and he, he himself is father of a multitude. So this is what God is calling them, to help them understand what their new calling is, what their new role is, what their new identity is. A new name is a new identity. A little further in, in Genesis, we get to the 35th chapter, and we encounter Jacob. And Jacob's original name meant schemer who takes so if he was called Jacob or Jacob, that's saying you're a schemer who takes from other people. Do you remember the story of Jacob and Esau? He's the one who tricks his brother. He, he, he has a nickname, which means little heel grabber, by the way. 
Uh, but when he tricks his brother, what he does is he goes to their father, who was very hungry and laying on his bed, and, and, his, and his father reaches out and touches Jacob, and what he feels is the hem of Jacob's garment, which Jacob's put on a, an animal skin. And when he feels it, he feels what feels like the way Esau always dressed. And he says, I need, I need food, I need food, I'm so very hungry. And so Jacob tricks his father by saying, I'll bring you food if you give me the birthright of my brother Esau. And then, of course, he does. And so he's a schemer who takes And that's how everybody knew Jacob, because that's what he had defined himself as. But God would change Jacob's name. You see, Jacob would wrestle with God. Remember the famous story of Jacob's ladder? The angel would come down and and wrestled with Jacob. And at the end of that time, it's not just an angel that Jacob's wrestling with, but the Pelea, the very pre-incarnate Christ. And after wrestling with Christ, Christ reaches out and just touches his hip. And, and causes injury to Jacob so that Jacob would now limp and remember who he had wrestled with. It's a really fascinating story we'll look at some other time. But his name was changed, not to Jacob anymore, but Israel. And being Israel, the name Israel means having power with God. So you can see where Abram becomes Abraham, Sarah becomes Sarah, Jacob becomes Israel. And most famously for what we're looking at today... Simon, which means Yahweh has heard, has his name changed to Peter, which means rock. And you may recall that exchange there. Uh, you see it primarily in, in the book of Matthew, uh, but also in John, where, where the question is asked to the apostles. This is well before where we are now in Mark right now. But Jesus said, who do people say that I am? Who do, who do they say I am? And, and they say, well, some of you say that you're Isaiah reincarnated. Because you, you look like, you act like, you do the things Isaiah said. You call yourself the son of man, like Elijah. You know, so maybe you're Elijah. Maybe you're Moses. You've come to change the law. And others have said, well, maybe you're John the Baptist reincarnated. At which point Jesus probably went, dude, it's my cousin. I can't be reincarnated as my cousin that I lived alongside of. It doesn't make sense. Keep thinking. And then Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You are the Messiah. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Peter. Because based on what you've just said, I will build my church. Your new name is no longer Cephas or Peter, uh, Cephas or Simon, but your name is Rock or Peter, Petros, where we get that from. And upon Peter's declaration that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, the church of Jesus Christ would be built. You see how that name means something? His name was changed from to. Who you were is not who you are, Peter. Instead of just being somebody that Yahweh has heard, now you are the rock. Your declaration defines you as the rock upon which I'll build my church. Now, um, off, off the notes here for just, does anybody else see the, the not so subtle irony in the fact of who Peter is as a person? I mean, we, we, we know Peter as a person tended to, to, to be a bit of a loudmouth. We know Peter tended to be the one who would, uh, who would run his mouth before thinking about what he had to say. He was rash. Peter would try to correct Jesus on several occasions. Remember when Jesus is <clears throat> given instructions about what's to come, how he's going to be handed over and, and he'll be crucified. And Peter's like, hey, 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 that's not the way to lead a revelation. Let old Pete tell you how to do it. You know? And Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan. He's like, whoa, my name's Peter, not Satan. So Jesus really rebukes him. And isn't it strange or ironic, I guess, that we, the people of Jesus Christ, the church of Jesus Christ, tend over time and history 
to get off base of what God's called us to do. The church drifts off into to this area or, or invests itself in these things that are inconsistent with the Scripture. Or we move over here like this and our behavior looks less and less and less like Jesus. Or we drift over here and our behavior is less and less and less the way the Bible has told us to live. Isn't it strange that we have these times of, of waning and then coming back and, and drifting? And all along the way, it seems that the church looks a lot like Peter, the rock we were built on. Have you ever thought about that? Just me? Okay. Jesus would occasionally call, call Peter Simon. And what he was doing was basically reminding Peter, you're acting like your old self. You're not acting like the newly born, regenerated, name is changed person that I've called you to be. Peter, instead of basing your behavior and your actions and your thinking on the rock, which is that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Instead of basing all that you do and you believe and how you act on that, you're basing your beliefs and your actions on something else. Maybe, maybe it's, it's, it's nationalism on Peter's part, wanting to have that messianic kingdom. Maybe it was just basic selfishness on his part. Maybe it was his arrogance. Maybe it was his, his sense of rash condescending. Whatever it may have been, Peter wasn't acting in accordance to the way God had called him. And as a result, Jesus reminds him. And in this passage in Mark, instead of him saying, Peter, wake up and pray, what he says is, Simon, old man, person who's acting not like the way I've called you, person who's making his decisions based on some previous way of thinking, some previous way of life that is not who you are today, wake up. In other words, if you're in Christ, you're a new creature. The old has passed away, and now the new has come. You, person, have a new name. You've been called away from a life of sin and selfishness and commonality to that which is exceptional, a royal priesthood, a people that God is called to live above what culture and society may say is acceptable. And live according to what your Lord, your God is called acceptable. You have a new name. Instead of just being you, you are called Christian, little Christ. And when we identify and call ourselves and uh, take on that mantle of being Christian, what we are doing is saying, in me you will see the behavior of a fully transformed, redeemed, repentant, and forgiven person. That's what it is to be transformed in Jesus Christ. You become a new creature. Old habits go away, new habits are formed. But when Peter failed, Jesus reminded him, you're not acting like Peter, you're acting like Simon. That's a fail. But how many times do we see in our own lives where we're called to one thing, to be little Christ, to be Christian, built on that rock, living according to what God has called us to, yet we fail back, we fall back and fail by living in our old identity. But you see, the old identity doesn't work for you and I anymore, you and me anymore. It, it's there, it's then, and we're now. That's the old creature, we're the new creature. You are destined for a new mission. When you surrender heart and, and life to Jesus Christ, when you go into those waters of baptism and you're born again into new life, like we say at every baptism, what you're doing is you're recognizing, I am new, I am clean, I am redeemed, and I have a new calling, a new job in life to live in such a way that when people see you, see me, 
What they see is the behavior of, the evidence of, the fragrance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Who you were before repentance is not intended to define you now. So I would challenge some of us who say, well, you know, I'm an alcoholic. I was an alcoholic for years and years before I came to Jesus. That's fantastic, but you're not an alcoholic now. You're a child of Jesus Christ. Alcohol defined the old person. It doesn't define the new. And that can go for a myriad of sins, thieves and liars and adulterers and drunks, whatever it may be. That was who you were. But in Christ, you are a new creature. The temptations will persist and continue, I promise. But they no longer define you. They simply tempt you. And no temptation comes to you that isn't common to man. And I would remind you of the phrases that we used as we were talking about Judas over this past couple of weeks, and that is that you are not defined by your temptations. You are defined by your relationship with Jesus Christ. That is who you are as a new creature. What made you who you were is different from what makes you who you are. So let's say that one more time so you can hear it. What made you who you were is different from what makes you who you are. You are a new creation. You are more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. You are the children who bear the name of Jesus when we call ourselves Christian. That defines who you are. Now, Paul, as he spoke about that, he had said that um, we are to fill our minds with the things of Christ. We're to, to fill our lives and our behaviors with fruit, evidence of the Spirit's owning and living and residing in us and defining the way we think, the way we believe, the way we act. But friends, I'm going to be honest with you, because Peter, in, in our irony we looked at a minute ago, continually failed, because Peter continually acted like the old man, our expectations is that are that we're going to do exactly the same thing from time to time. You and I are going to fail. Now, who thinks you're without fail? Right? Throw the first stone. Jesus' term there are, are words there to the Pharisees are really um, germane to you and I today. It's easy for us to point at the failings of other churches or other people or other folks who call themselves Christian and say, well, they're not really doing it. They're inconsistent. They're, you know, hypocrites. And we're, we're happy to throw those judgments, but seldom are we happy to stop and think, you know, I do that too. All of us do. All churches do. All peoples do. All of us who bear the name Jesus Christ are going to fail and sin. But we mustn't let that sin, that temptation that's the root of sin, define us. We must continually be repenting, asking God for forgiveness, surrounding ourselves with other sisters and brothers who can help us grow so that our walk is more consistent with what Jesus has called us to do. You're not defined by your temptations. You're defined by the name Christian. Because anyone who is in Christ is a new creature, a Christian creature. Last week, is, and as we're closing, I want to remind a couple things to you. Last week, I had mentioned to you that um, uh, this phrase is used a lot, your actions betray your words. So when we call ourselves Christians, but our actions are treacherous to that calling, our behaviors are inconsistent with that identity, our thoughts are, are a complete departure from what Paul and Jesus has told us to fill our minds with. When that happens, then our actions will betray our words. Just like Judas betrayed Jesus, 
By the way, all the other apostles did too. They all ran away. They all left him. They were supposed to be the rock. They were supposed to be faithful. They were supposed to be uh, friends of his. But as soon as trouble came, they all ran for the hills. But Jesus was able to forgive and redeem and restore each and every one of them. You see, that's still the call for you and I. Jesus is going to find us at our points of weakness, meet us at our point of of, uh, repentance, and offer forgiveness so that our actions affirm our words. So when we say Christian and what people see in us is faithfulness and love and gentleness, and truthfulness. They see that we're full of of the attributes and characteristics of a transformed person, and that's what defines us as Christian. So when we fail, when we do mess up, what they see in us is a deep sense of humility and remorse for where we've sinned. Christians not trying to protect ourselves, but going and saying, I I did that. It was wrong. It was a betrayal of who I am, and I'm asking you to forgive me for that. We ask that of God. We ask that of fellow man. And when people see that humility in us, they see a characteristic of the gospel of Jesus Christ defined by your new nature. Because after all, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. You have a new name. You're not just Joe, Janie, Johnson, whatever your name may be. Who you are is Christian. That's you. Child of Jesus, imitator of Jesus, little Christ. And since you have a new name, the challenge is that you act like the name by which you're called. Our worship team is going to come up and start to to play in the background. And I just want to issue you a challenge this way. I would invite you right now just to close your eyes, to bow your heads. I, I would just invite you to get alone in front of God for just a minute. There's not a need to look around and see what other people are doing. The need right now really is just for you to get in front of God. I just want you to focus on the author and the finisher of your salvation, the one who has called you to be his child, his son, his daughter. I just want you quietly in his presence to ponder a couple of questions. We do this in the form of prayer or meditation. My challenge to you is really to to ask this of God. Lord, am I living up to my new name. All games aside, all self-protection aside, all think you've tricked them and fooled them aside, that private sin, that secret in your heart, those things going on in your life that are inconsistent with the calling, I simply want you to imagine yourself in front of your God for just a minute. Lord God, our question right now is very simple. As a whole, when you look at our lives, are there things in our spirit, in our heart, in our values, in our behaviors, our actions that are inconsistent with the name Christian? Lord, we can we can look across at the history of the people who bear your name and we can see hypocrisy and we see violence. We see bigotry. We see where the church itself has not always been faithful. 
God, just like Peter, the time comes where we need to fall and beg for forgiveness. To hear you again say, do you love me? Do you love me? God, I would just pray this morning that in each of our hearts in this time of reflection, that we would think in terms of being people with a new name. People who are no longer just called by surnames, but known as Christian and live up to that call seriously. Taking it not just as a culture or a group that we hang out with or a church we may go to. Not even the identity of denominations and other churches that have gone ahead, but God taking that name as being associated with Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. Lord, I pray that what fills our minds comes out in our actions. And that what fills our mind, Lord, are those things that Paul has said are true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable, excellent and praiseworthy, Lord, that that's who we are. That's what we're known as. And God, I just pray for the humility as we fail, because we will, to be able to remember that we are not defined by our failings or our sins, but we're defined by our future. Our future is the children of Jesus Christ. I pray that we make you proud in the way that we live. I pray that we're consistent in the way that we conduct ourselves. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior.